we want to thank you for taking time out of your busy schedules to join us on the JF Podcast. It is our hope that this most recent talk teaches you, inspires you, and challenges you to live the life you were designed to live. If this message has helped you in some way, help someone else by sharing it. And if you want more information about who we are, what we do, or you'd like to contribute to our community, you can find us at JolietNaz.org. Thanks so much for listening. This is the last week of Explore God. Next week, we begin a new series called Tell the Town, which I'm excited about. Three weeks of Tell the Town. And uh, today's topic uh, for Explore God to finalize this whole thing over all the questions that we've asked and run through is, can I know God personally? And I know that some of you have been in the church for five minutes. Some of you have been in here for five years, 50 years or 105 years, and this message is relevant to wherever you are, so I know you think you know the answer, but what we'll find is that a lot of us don't, including myself, and so here we go. You guys ready this morning? All right, let's pray Pray for me before we begin. Uh, Lord, we do give thanks for this time. I pray that your truth would be revealed to us, and that you would speak to us in this moment. We love you. We thank you. And we just thank you that you are God whose power is placed into our lives to do great things for you. And so we give you the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I want to start with a question. Um, I know many of you are very educated, more so than I am. But what do you know about an avocado? This, that's right. You're absolutely right. Imported from Mexico. What do you know about an avocado? I didn't know much until I went on a lengthy research project, but here's what I knew beforehand. I knew that they were healthy, and the only reason I knew they were healthy is because some dietitian that I watch on YouTube told me so. I knew that they were heavy in fats. They're high on the fat side, which is fantastic. Uh, It won't make you fat, but they're high in fats, which is great. Um, I also know that I cannot, I know that getting the pit out is painful. I don't know if you've ever done that, but you accidentally chopped off your finger or cut yourself, like, you know, whacking at the pit to get it out. Uh, I know they're tools. I'm just too cheap to buy one, uh, but that's always a pain. They are great for guacamole, of course. Duh. Why do you think we have these? And then they pair nicely, I think, with eggs and salsa. That's the extent of what I know about an avocado. But here's what I did not know, and you probably already know this, that an avocado is a fruit. How many of you knew that? Yeah, okay, see, so yeah, you're like, yeah, we already know this, Brad. But you may not have known that it's great for pregnant women. And the reason it's great for pregnant women is because of the folate that's found in these. It actually protects the fetus, and it helps the fetus grow and makes it healthy. Not only that, but there's a ton of monosaturated fats, which is a good thing for those of you that want healthy hearts and to lower your blood pressure. And uh, it actually reduces um, insulin uh, resistance for type 2 diabetes, which is great. Uh, eat these. Uh, They're high in fiber, which I don't need to explain that to you. You know what that does. Fiber is very helpful for digestion. Uh, Omega-3 fatty acids, fantastic stuff. I didn't know this, but it actually can help people with Alzheimer's disease, and it can reverse reverse those who are in the early stages of the disease. It's great for your skin. It's great for your eyes. It prevents cataracts, cancer, and supposedly it's an anti-aging fruit that you can eat. Uh, There are plenty of uses on top of that. On top of that, you can use the oils for your hair. You can make a face mask out of it for those of you that are worried about looking old. Uh, It helps the bags underneath your eyes. For those of you that have really rough feet, 
Um, you can use it to scrub the bottoms of your feet to make them soft again. And lastly, I mean, pretty cool stuff, but it just, again, as I said, it doesn't make you look old. But there's some interesting other facts about this that we haven't really gotten to yet either. Where Somebody said it's from Mexico. You're absolutely right. But it's interesting, this avocado I bought in New Lenox at Aldi, and um, it came from a company named Mission. Now, Mission started producing avocados in California, and then they realized that the demand was so high, it was so high across the world, that they couldn't keep up with the demand. And so what they did was they went to Peru, New Zealand, and uh, California, and Mexico, and they started producing avocados year-round, so you can have fresh ones of these. Isn't that fantastic? Um, this one, there are two places in Mexico that produce them. I can't pronounce the names of them other than to say that one sounds like Michigan, which I don't want to say here because that's a bad word. Um, but for those of you who are state fans, you get that. Um, but anyway, this one was produced in Mexico on a plant that has 300,000 acres, over 700 employees. And you're right, Mexico produces over two-thirds of the world's avocados. Pretty cool stuff, huh? But even after all of that, I still have some questions. Like, I wonder who picked this particular one. Were they young? Were they old? How long have they been working for the company? I wonder who planted the avocado tree or plant or whatever it is. When was it planted? How old is it? Does the fruit get better as it, like, you know, does it get better as it ages? I don't know. If I were, you know, to, to go down to Mexico and to talk with people and to make trips and do all this crazy stuff, at the end of the day, I would not know everything there is to know about this avocado. I could work and work and work and work and research and research and research and research. I could make trips. I could talk to the president. I could talk to the owners. And at the end of the day, I would not know the full depth of what this beautiful piece of fruit has been through. And I bet that you have relationships in your life that feel the same way. Come on, parents, you have children, and children, you have parents. Maybe you have a spouse, maybe you have a friend, and often you feel like you're the only one in the relationship. You ever feel like uh, you want a relationship with them, but they don't necessarily want it with you, it's not reciprocated? And so what do you do? You give, you give, you give, you work, you work, you work. And at the end of it, you feel like, and you know this, it's not going to happen. And inside, you feel empty. But you were under the notion that your work would make a way. That somehow, if you worked hard enough, if you worked at that relationship enough, that marriage, that work uh, job that you have with your boss, the relationship with your if you worked hard enough, your work would make a way for you. And I think this is where we start when it comes to this question of, can I know God personally? And so I just, you know, want to begin by saying this. Luke, the guy that's going to write this message to us today or write this story to us today, he's amazing in the sense that when he began his journey, he wasn't necessarily a follower of Jesus. He was kind of skeptical about what happened in the life of Jesus. And so what he does is he goes out and he begins to work and work and work and work and he researches and researches and researches and what we get from him is one of the most detailed accounts of Jesus's life that we've ever seen but he knows this there's one question at the end of that that still remains for him can I know God personally even after interviewing people and working to write this document and this count of Jesus's life at the end 
Can he know God personally? And he writes this specific story. He includes it in his account because he knows that what he's about to tell us through the life of Jesus and other people, that this is how we begin to answer that question. So here's what he says. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. But Martha was, say it with me now, distracted. She was distracted by all of the preparations that had to be made. It's really interesting because we know that Martha has a really good relationship with Jesus. We know from other accounts that Jesus uh, loved her sister Mary and her brother Lazarus, who recently before this was raised from the dead. We know this. And so they have a great relation, a great connection with, or connection with Jesus. And they, 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 we know that Jesus loves them. We find in other accounts that he says, these people matter to me. I love them deeply. But it, what's so interesting is even though she knows that about Jesus, even she knows that this relationship is good and healthy, what we find in the very beginning of this story is that in order for her to foster that relationship, she immediately gets to work. I mean, this was the cultural expectation back then that when somebody you cared about came over, when somebody that you loved, if you wanted to grow a relationship with them, you showed them that by working. And so we immediately find her in the back, in the kitchen, getting to work. She's making all the preparations, getting everything ready for Jesus as a way of saying, this is why I love you. I'm doing this because I care about you. And I think we are under the same assumption when it comes to this question of can I have a personal relationship with God? Here's the false assumption that we make, is that my work will make a way. That your work will make a way to Jesus. We learn this from Martha, that your work will make a way. Now, I'm about to say something that I just need you to hang with me to the end. Okay? Just hang with me to the end, because... What we're about to say, may, you may question for just a second, but just hang with me. I find it interesting that when it comes to developing a relationship with Jesus, we often define it by what we do and the work that we put into it. In fact, a lot of us in the church suffer from what I call COPD. We're all suffocating from it. And the reason why is it's the four staples for spiritual development and spiritual growth in our lives. The COPD, church Outward actions, prayer, and devotions. How many times in your life have you felt guilty for not showing up to church? How many times have people come to you and they've said, hey, where were you Sunday? We missed you, and you know what that meant. We didn't miss you. We wanted you to be there because you're supposed to be there. How many of you have, have ever found you're saying, I know I should read my Bible more? I know I should read my Bible more. Over and over and over, I hear people say this. I know, I know, I know I should, and they feel guilty about it. You ever tried to quit something? Like you felt like you were supposed to quit something for God, and then when you tried to quit it, you couldn't quit it, and because you couldn't quit it, quit it you felt guilty about it. And when you felt guilty about it, you became more stressed out, and you just kept doing it anyway, <laughs> and you never stopped it. I, I do find the word devotions kind of funny. That's just my opinion. But, but I, I find it funny because the word devotion is a noun to, to describe the state of a relationship, and we've turned it into something we do to satisfy the relationship. And so often I find that people will come to me, and they'll come and they'll talk to me, and they say, listen, I've been doing all these things, and at the end of it, I feel empty. I feel really empty. I don't feel like I'm connecting. And what they'll say is, it's not working 
working for me. And I think that ultimately, ultimately through those things, what we do is we end up having a relationship like we do with our favorite celebrity. We know a lot about our celebrity friends, but we don't know them personally. And Jesus understands this. And so the conversation continues because he knows that we spend so much time working. So as Martha comes up, she's exasperated by finishing all the numerous household chores that had to take place. And in preparation for the guests, so she interrupts Jesus, which I don't know why you would do that because he's, you know, whatever, doing whatever Jesus-y things. She interrupts him in the middle of it. And she says, Lord, don't you think it's unfair that my sister left me to do all the work by myself? You should tell her. I find it funny that Martha is telling Jesus what he should, should and shouldn't say. But she says to him, you should tell my sister to get up and, say it with me now, what? Help me. Oh, you guys are great today. It's funny because when Martha says this to Jesus, tell my sister to help me, we always envision it as this kind of like this desperation mode, like, oh my, I need help, I need help. But when, when we begin to unpack this, the inference behind these words, help me, is actually, it means to, to master or to, to grasp. This really isn't a question. This is a bold statement about where she stands in the pecking order. In other words, Jesus, I need you to talk to my sister because I have mastered. I have figured everything out. I know exactly what it takes to foster this relationship with you. And so I'm asking you to ask her to help me because in helping me, I'm going to be helping her get it right. And what we find is that in this moment, Mary, or excuse me, Martha wants to impose on Mary the expectations that everybody had for her. And what she thought would continue to foster this relationship. And I think, let's just be honest for a few moments, I think sometimes in the church, there are some of us, including myself, who think maybe we have mastered the journey of faith. And then we then impose those views on other people as a way of saying, you need to do this in order to get to God. And yet they keep coming back tired, empty from all the work that's getting them nowhere. And Jesus gets this. Jesus knows this. In fact, this is what he says to her. Martha, my beloved Martha, I love you so much. We're amazing. We have a great relationship. You are getting to know me, but you're going around about it the wrong way. He says, why are you upset and troubled? Pulled away by the many distractions. And then I love this question. Are those distractions, are those things that you're doing, are they worth it? All this work that you're doing, is it really worth it? In fact, it's pulling you away. And this is what he says, and this is how he finishes it. Mary, your sister, who you want to help you, has discovered the one thing. The one thing. I think in our efforts to move into a relationship, a personal relationship with God, we are distracted. We are doing things over and over and over that continually pull us away from him rather than give us a personal relationship 
with God. In fact, when we direct people to say, hey, go read your Bible, go to church, do your prayers, do your devotions. At the end of the day, when I sit with them, they come back to me over and over and over again, and they say, I'm not getting it. I'm not feeling this connection with God that you keep talking about. I'm not sure that this is working for me. It doesn't seem personal. If anything, God seems more distant and he seems more aloof. So whatever I'm doing isn't working at this point. But it's interesting because Jesus says, Mary has this one thing, and I think we try to do everything. When I talk with people, yeah, I'm going to Bible study. I'm going to church three times a week. I'm there on Wednesdays. I'm making sure I'm in this. I'm serving here. I'm doing that. And we get so busy. And Jesus looks at us and he says, is it the most important thing? It's not that he's not saying those things aren't important. He's saying, is it the most, most important thing in your life? And I think, I think that the COPD that we all suffer from, church, prayers, outward actions, and devotions, all those things are necessary in developing a relationship with God, but all those come from the very thing that Jesus tells us to do in this moment. They are an offshoot, they are a practice of, they give us knowledge of, but they don't lead us into a personal relationship with him. And Jesus understands this, and so he looks at Martha, and he looks at Mary, and he says this. He says, Mary has discovered the one thing, not everything, but one thing. And that was a point I meant to make. I'm sorry I missed it. When we do everything, we actually do nothing. When we try to do everything, we actually don't get anywhere at all. And so he goes back to it and he says, here's the one thing that Mary has figured out. It's most important, and what she has chosen to do is to sit at my feet. Sit. Not work, not get up, not go and do, but to sit at my feet. And she is undistracted. And I won't take, I love this word, I won't take this privilege from her. And what Jesus is getting at in this point is that when we sit, we get the privilege of experiencing the personal. That when we sit with Jesus, we have the privilege of experiencing a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Jesus says this is the most important thing. Out of anything, more than COPD, more than making sure that you're busy and running everywhere else, this is the one thing. And so here's what I want you to know today. Sit before you serve. Sit before you serve. Sit before you do the work. It's interesting. Um, I, I was meeting, I meet with our staff every week. Um, I meet with our staff every week following, I meet with one of our staff members following our staff meeting every week. And we have a list of questions that we go through. Some of them are, what's your personal life like? How's family? How are things at home? When do you have vacation? Let's talk about your ministry. How's that going? What goals do you have? But one of the questions that we ask people is, how are you doing spiritually? In fact, we do this every staff meeting from, on a scale from zero to 10, 10 being you're hot, zero being you're not. Where are you? We ask this every week. 
And one of my staff members in, the, in this question of how are you doing spiritually came to me and they said, they said, listen, I don't know what's going on, but I don't feel like my, my prayer life is not working for me. It's not good enough. It's just, it's not making sense to me. I'm not getting anything out of it. And I said, well, just explain to me, what are you doing? And they said, well, I opened my Bible and I just kind of opened it anywhere. And then I read an entire chapter. And then as I read the chapter, I start having all these questions. And so I go to this commentary, I go to that commentary. I have my computer in front of me. And so I start researching on that website and this website. And I said, well, how long do you spend reading, researching, working and working and working and working? And they said, probably about an hour and 15 minutes. And I said, in the point that you come to sit with Jesus, do you, does that ever happen? And they said, well, by then I'm, I'm just, I'm just tired. I've got other things to do. Like it's, it's time for me to get on with my day. You're doing all this work for what? To feel empty? So I just made a few suggestions, but ultimately what I said is you've got to make sure that when you enter into this time where you sit with Jesus, that that becomes the most important in part. More than reading, more than studying, more than learning, you've got to have this intimate time to know Jesus personally. And it worked for her. It changed her, it helped her. And so what I want for you is for you to sit before you serve. Now I get it, some of you here this morning are not Christians. You're like, hey, I don't follow Jesus. I don't believe that. I don't even know if I can have a personal relationship with God. I wanna tell you this. I have a good friend who lives in Chicago and he has a ministry. It's not like church, but it's really church at its finest. It's very organic. He just goes out and he meets people and he meets all these friends. Some of them are Muslims. Some of them are, you know, just people that we would never even think about talking with or interacting with. And I just said, what do you just go up and ask people? Hey, come over to my house. He's like, pretty much. He said, it's interesting because there's this Indian restaurant across the street from a big church in Chicago. And he said, I felt like God was just saying, hey, just ride your bike, go there, eat lunch there once a week. So we would go there every week. And what's interesting culturally is they're very friendly. And after about a couple weeks, they invited him to sit down with them. Now these, he's like, I'm the only white person there. I'm the only, you know, probably the only Christian in this restaurant. So they invite me to sit down with them. And I remember one week, this guy puts out his phone and he says, let's just start right here. And it was, a, it was an article about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And as they developed a relationship, a personal relationship with, with each other that began by sitting across from the table from each other. The guy started coming to his house. They were doing Bible studies and prayers together and he's still a Muslim. But he told me, he said, it's funny. He said, I would never share this with anybody else, but I'll share it with you. He said, I've always had a bad perception of Christians. They're angry, they're vindictive, they're mean. He said, but, but you've changed that perspective for me. And he said, I keep having this reoccurring dream over and over and over again. And he said, in this dream, I'm, I'm walking down this road to the mosque where I go to pray every single day. I'm walking down this road. And he says, I can see the mosque in the distance and I know that I'm going there. I'm going to church, going to worship, doing my thing. But he said, off to the side is this bench. And he said, there is this weird, warm, inviting, welcoming, 
like almost life-giving presence that is sitting on this bench. And this Muslim guy says, it's Jesus. And I, I just keep walking by him in my dream. And Jesus doesn't say, hey, you need to stop and come back to me. He doesn't say, stop what you're doing. You're getting it all wrong. Jesus says, hey, you go, you go do your prayers. Go to church. Do your thing. But I'll still be sitting right here when you get back. And what's so crazy is he said, I've had this dream multiple times. But he said, I think for the first time, the next time I have this dream, I'm going to sit with Jesus on that bench. It was so interesting. And I told this, this guy, I said, don't you get it? That is what it looks like for people to give their lives to Jesus. Not some prayer, not some formula that we expect people to say, but for somebody who is from another faith to simply say, I think next time I'm gonna sit with Jesus. And for those of you who are on the fence and you're saying, I'm not really sure, there is a God named Jesus who sits on a bench as you go by and you do your daily things. And it's a welcoming, warming, inviting presence saying, hey, I just wanna give you a bit of my grace, my love, and my peace. There's nothing condescending. There's nothing mean. There's nothing angry about it. Come and sit with me. I would hope that maybe you would make that decision. For those of us like me who've been in the church for quite some time, I find it interesting that Jesus is in a conversation with religious people and he tells them, he says, you know the commands, love the Lord your God and love your neighbor as yourself. And the Pharisees and the religious people affirm that and they say, yeah, we, we know. And Jesus, here's what he says. We always skip over this part. He looks at the religious people, he looks at the Pharisee and he says, wow, I see that you are so insightful. But you are so insightful. You know a lot about God. You know a lot about what you're supposed to do. You know about the work that you're supposed to do. But he says, you're almost there. In fact, Jesus looks at me and says, you are on the border of God's kingdom order. You know a lot about me, but you don't know me. In other words, insight does not allow you inside. Just because you have a lot of insight about faith and religion and about God does not mean that you have an inside personal relationship with him. Some of us have been in the church for 20, 30 years, and I wonder, is your relationship greater with the church, the people in the church, and your Bible, and all the practices that we do? than it is with sitting with the God that offers you life? If all those were taken away from you, everything, would sitting with Jesus be enough for you? So here's where I'll leave it. Here's a practical step. What does this look like in my life? For the next week, I want you to put your Bible down I want you just to kind of take a break from all that for just a minute. And I want you to simply sit for 15 minutes a day. I want you, it's, it, it's so simple. In fact, it's freeing to me that I don't have to do all this studying. I don't have to do all this conversation. I just have to simply sit before God, open my hands and say, Jesus, 
what would you say to me today? That's it. What would you say to me today? For 15 minutes. And I know 15 minutes seems like a lot, but you have 15 minutes for your phone. You have 15 minutes for your friends. You have 15 minutes for your video games. You have eight hours for work. I mean, if you can give eight hours to work, surely you can give 15 minutes to God. <laughs> and I think what you'll find is if you sit, remember Jesus said it, the one thing, the one thing is to sit with me. And I think that you will find your relationship with God becomes deep, and personal, that you will know God in a way that you've never known him before. And as you experience this, the Bible and church and prayers will become a natural part of what your life will look like because you've sat with Jesus. So will you join me in that this week? Will you take 15 minutes each day and just say, God, what will you say to me? What do you want to speak into my life? And I promise you, it will fill you and it will change you. Sit before you serve. Sit before you do anything else. Sit before you work because your work does not make the way. God makes the way to you.